Why don't we open with a word of prayer? So, Father, I just thank you for this time that we have to come together to learn more about another parable. I pray that as we look at this parable, you would give us wisdom and understanding in these things. I just pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives as we see the invitation that can bring life. We just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The parable that we're going to be looking at is the parable of the wedding feast. It's a continuation of the parables that we have been looking at for the past few weeks. Uh, As a little reminder, this all started with the authority of Jesus Christ being challenged. And then Jesus goes into talking about the parable of the two sons, as you recall, There is a father with the two sons. One of them said he would do something and didn't do it. The other one said that he wouldn't do it, and then he went and did it. And the one that, the second one was the one who did what the father asked of him. And then you went to the parable of the tenants, which there was the master of the house who leased his vineyard out to tenants. And then when he came and sent servants to reap the harvest, Uh, Then they kept killing the servants one after another. They beat one uh, and again killed the others. And then ultimately he sends and he kills them. Uh, And ultimately he sends his son as well and they kill his son. And so then in the end it says he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their season. And that is where we ended off. Now we are in the parable of the wedding feast. So um, let's read them. The verses 1 through 7. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to the king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now today we're going to be diving into that and the rest of the parable, and we're going to be looking about looking at the invitation that can bring life. And as I was noticing all these parables, I was noticing that they started to get more and more serious. In the beginning, it was just a father with his two sons, and there's not really any consequence, so to speak. And then it moves on to this master. And the master has tenants, and then there is serious consequence. And now it's gotten to its most extreme, and that is a king. And this king is throwing a feast. And to not come to the feast has very serious consequences indeed. And so the parables are getting more and more intense in everything. Uh, The king, the servants... The outer darkness. And we're going to look at four short points here today. And the first one is going to be an invitation reacted to. 
Now, this beginning portion is talking about the Israelites. And as we have seen a few times through the vast few parables, that that is who Jesus is talking to. Again, he's responding to the Pharisees. And he was talking about, again, with the parable of the two sons, their works righteousness, that they said they would do something, and then they never actually did. They never had a heart that wanted to do the will of the Lord. And then you have the tenants as well, who had servants after servants, messengers after messengers, who came to them, and they rejected them all. They beat them, they stoned them, they killed them. And that was an example of what Israel did to the prophets and to the messengers of God. They continually, they beat them down, they killed them, and ultimately, even when he sent his son, they still crucified him. And so that theme kind of continues here with the parable of the wedding feast. We see this king, and this king is representing God. And it says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, when the Jews would hear the term the kingdom of heaven, they assumed that the kingdom of heaven was for them. And so when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven to them, they're thinking, okay, this is for us. We are going to be part of that kingdom of heaven. And so there's really no confusion on the fact that, is, that Jesus was talking to them and they're going to understand this parable as meaning that it is about them. And so it says it's a king who gave a wedding feast for a son. Again, the king is going to be God, and then also you look at the son, that's going to be Jesus Christ. And the wedding feast is going to be that time when we're all in heaven together. So he sends those servants to those who are invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And so again, very similar to the past parable of the tenants, he sends these servants And again, the same thing happens. It says in verse 5, But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Very similar wordage to the parable of the tenants. And so I see no reason to not see this as the people of Israel. Again, they rejected the invitations that came to them, all of the prophets that came to them, warning them. They beat, they stoned, and they killed. And when we're thinking about this parable, one thing we have to understand is weddings are a very elaborate time um, for the Jews. This was a very special moment. It still is for us today. Um, But for them, it took a whole week for them to get all of their joy out. And so this was a week-long process. It was a very big ordeal. It was normally put on by the head of the household. And so the fact that the king is the one putting this feast on is is what would be. And if a normal wedding is a big deal, then certainly the wedding of a king is a very big deal. Um, And if you were invited to the wedding of a king, that would be a great honor. And to not go to that wedding would be a very great dishonor to that king. Uh, There's also a lot of thoughts that there is a lot of riddles that would be happening. You can see that with Samson, um, a lot of um, party. It would be like the party of a century um, to go to this wedding here. And so they were all invited, and how the weddings worked is kind of like we do today. You would get an invite, and you say, hey, 
why don't you come to the wedding at so-and-so time? And then when the wedding feast was ready, then they would send servants and say, hey, the meal is prepared, now come and join in the festivities. And that's what's happening here. So he invited all these people to come, and they all reject him. And they don't want to go. And their rejection has consequences. Look in verse 7. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now again, when you're thinking about the people of Israel, this comes to fulfillment in 70 AD. Um, That is when a Roman general, Titus, conquered Jerusalem and killed one 1,100,000 Jews, estimated. Um, And if you know anything about that siege, it was a very terrible time for the nation of Israel, um, literally starving and doing all kinds of horrible things um, just to survive, and ultimately were, for the most part, wiped out. Ultimately, they were not worthy. Ultimately, they did this to themselves. Um, They had many opportunities throughout the Old Testament, as we looked at, again with the prophets, um, and they rejected the message, and ultimately they rejected the very Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. The thing is, though, when you're looking at this parable, they were invited to go to the wedding. All they had to do was to actually go to it. And the problem is they didn't want to go to the wedding feast. And as I was thinking about that, their reaction mirrors man's today. Uh, Many people still have the same kind of reaction to the gospel as they did all the way back then. And we're going to look at four different reactions now. The first one is not caring. When you look at verse Five, it says, but they paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest of them seized his servants. I really see the first as he paid no attention. Uh, Many people in this world, they just pay no attention. It's just like they're blissfully out there, just not thinking about anything at all. They just don't care. They just don't have it in them to care. Why would they care? They can't see why they should care. And so there's many people who just pay no attention. Not my worries, not my problem, not my circus, not my (laughs) monkey. And then you have the second person, the one who's just content, I see. And you might think, oh, well, it's good to be content. Well, it's not good to be content when you're on your way to hell. There's the one who went off to his farm. I kind of see this person as just going along. He's kind of like the person who doesn't care, but he's just content in life. Things are going well. I got my farm. I'm working my farm. Everything seems to be going great. Why would I even change? What's the purpose of changing if everything seems to be going so well for me? Again, he's just content to live life as it is. If everything's going well, why change? Why make it any worse? Why give myself to these rules in the Bible and live my life according to them? I might as well just stick with what I'm doing because it seems to be working. Some people have that idea. So you have the not caring person, the person who doesn't care, the person who's just content where he's at. 
And so therefore it doesn't want to heed to the gospel. And then there's the people who are about this world. It says another to his business. And nowadays there's a lot of people about to business. There's a lot of people in this world, in our world in particular, who I'd say are so busy with the world, so busy with the grind, so to speak, so busy with their life, so busy with doing this and that, so busy with their work, trying to advance in their career. And they're so busy with things that they forget to think about their eternal life. They're so focused on the world and the things of the world that who even has time to think about what's going to happen in the world to come? There's many people, um, in particularly our culture, who are focused on wealth, job, people, and everything else in the world, um, but not focused on their eternal life. And the last one is the people who are hostile against the gospel. And it says, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And in America, we don't really have that as much. Maybe we'll get some hate um, through verbal, um, through social media, but that's probably about the extent of what you will feel um, here in America. But if you go to other parts of the countries, there are people who quite literally could be treated shamefully and killed because of their faith. There are some people in this world, and there might be people even in America in, many, in years to come, that will want to literally kill because they hate the gospel that much. Um, it's something that's happened throughout the years. It's actually been the norm of the Christian faith to be persecuted and often killed. Um, we live in a very abnormal time, a time where we have peace as believers. And so there are going to be many people who are just hostile. They just want nothing to do with. In fact, they are going to go against the gospel as best as they can. And so those are the four people I see. Not caring, content with this life, about this world, too busy, and hostile. And as I was thinking about those groups, I was thinking, well, maybe it would be good to take a look at them and say, well, how can we start witnessing to those people? Um, we need to be considering this. Um, as we go throughout the world, I'm always encouraged you, go talk to someone about the gospel, go share your faith. And you might say, well, how do I even start to share my faith? And so one of the things you have to do is think about, well, what is that person going through that they need? Now, you need to be careful. You don't change the gospel. The gospel always remains the same. However, how you share the gospel should be catered to a person. Everyone's individual people. Everyone has individual thoughts, and therefore, some people might be in the not caring. And you got to say, well, if this person just doesn't care at all, you try to share the gospel with them, and they just say, I don't care. I just, they pay no attention at all. You're like, hey, dude, do you want to know about salvation? And they're like, not really. And you're like, how do I witness this person who just doesn't care at all? And for that person, I'd say, you need to show them sin, that there's sin in the world. And once you show them there's sin in the world, you should say, hey, look, there's a seriousness to sin. There's consequences to sin. And therefore, you should care. Because ultimately, if you don't care about this, this is what's going to be happening to you. 
And so again, you're not changing the gospel. You're just pointing it to them and saying, look, this is your problem and this is what you need to see. And then you have the person who's just content, the one who's just plowing his farm, the one who just wants to continue his life because it's good. And you say, well, how would you witness to that person? And that would be, well, you might be fine now, but what happens when rocky times come? What happens when life gets hard? What happens when the one... You, when the person you love dies? What happens when you die? Things might be great now, but they're not always going to be great. And what's going to be happening when you ultimately die? And so that's how I'd kind of approach the person who's just content in this life. What happens when life gets tough? What happens when ultimately you die? Then you have the other person who's busy about this world, and they're just on the grind. And you could say to that person, look, what does it all amount to? You're going to strive and strive and strive and strive in this world. You're going to gain a lot of wealth. You could have billions of dollars, but when you die, what is going to happen to it? What's going to happen to you? It's all going to amount to nothing, ultimately, when you die. And so again, that's how you would approach that person who is always about this world, always about the business of this world. And then you have the final one, the one who is hostile to the gospel, hostile to you. How do you witness to that person who just wants to shamefully treat you in our culture or even possibly kill you? And the best way I could think of is to show grace. And turn the other cheek, be turn the other cheek, so to speak, or to speak, to be a person who exemplifies um, grace in the lives of the people around you and in your own life. Someone who shows love continually, someone who is above reproach. Um, for that person, they need to see the love of Christ in you for them to have a changed heart. And then obviously the Lord will work through you as you preach the gospel to those people. And so I just thought it would be good to consider that for a moment. As you, in your head, you should be thinking of people, hey, I want to witness to those people. And it's good to think, well, how am I going to witness to this person? What is the thing that is going to impact that person? Is he the person who is going to be, he's always about the business of the world, and so I need to show him like, hey, What's going to happen when you die? Is he the person who just doesn't care at all? Is he the person who doesn't want to change his life? What kind of purpose is he at, and how do you want to change that, or how can you help him see that he needs to follow Christ? So, be thinking about how you can witness to people, and with that, I wanted to give you basic principles for sharing the gospel. And Now, I'm not going like super in-depth with this, but... The past few weeks, I've been talking a lot about the parable of the sons and the parable of tenants and how we need to go out and we need to share the gospel because it is very serious. Um, there's serious consequences for it, so I thought I don't want to leave you hanging. i got to give you something. And so basic principles for sharing the gospel. The first one is, again, be thinking, the first one is actually be thinking about how to share the gospel to that person. Don't just go there and say, like, oh, I hope I will be able to Remember everything I need to remember. Think about it before you get to that position so you're ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. 
But the first real point is to pray. That is, pray before, hey God, give me the opportunity to be able to witness to this person because I need it. And then when that opportunity arrives, gives me the ability to be able to witness to that person. Give me the courage to be able to witness to that person because I know I'm going to need it when that time comes. So pray before, pray during, either with the person or pray in your mind as you're going through. God, give me wisdom, give me understanding, um, work in this person's life, have the Holy Spirit um, come on him so he sees the error in his ways and he turns to you. And then pray for him after as well. So before, during, and after that he truly had a changed heart and that he truly loves you. And then help him to change his ways to obey you. So pray, 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 pray is the first one. Use scripture is the second one. It's amazing. Sometimes we share the gospel and we don't even use scripture. And I don't even mean um, just saying scripture. I mean use scripture. If you can, have them physically read the word of God. This is the power Um, There is nothing in you that is going to change that person. The Word of God, God Himself through the Spirit, is going to change that person. So use the Word of God. Um, Have them read the Scriptures. Have them read um, Romans 3, 23. I should have written in my notes, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then ask them, hey, what does that verse mean? Have them explain it to you so they fully understand what exactly you are saying when you are explaining the Gospel. Um, Everyone should have. I have it. Um, I did it with the young adults at one point. A little card in my Bible that has the verses I need for the gospel. So if anyone ever asks me, I know what verses to turn to, and I can have them read it from my Bible. So have them read, and it'll do a lot of things. First of all, it's the power of God, as I've explained. Um, Second of all, It will give them time to think. You don't want rushed decisions. You want them to fully understand what exactly they are believing. And it will be a clear message. Sometimes we fumble through these things, and God can work through our fumbling, which is amazing. Um, But we want it to be as clear as possible. This is what Scripture says. Do you believe it or not? All right, so pray, use Scripture. The third one is explain truth. Don't hold back. Um, This is not a time to be timid about sharing your faith um, because you want them to say yes. Um, This is a time where you want to be clear on the gospel. Look, your eternal life is at stake, and I know it's hard to hear, but at this point in time, you are headed to hell. But the good news is there is a way in which, through Jesus Christ, you don't have to go that way. You can be in a relationship with God and spend eternity with Him. This is a time where you don't want to hold back because you're scared. This is a time to be upfront with them and truly share with them the gospel. And the last one I'm going to add is don't force anything. And this one I want to put I put in there because you can't change that person ultimately. And I know If you could force someone to believe in Jesus Christ, all of us would. And I think this is in particular to parents, um, because obviously I'm going to be a dad soon, and if I could force my kid to be a believer, I would force him to be a believer. But ultimately, 
he is going to have to make that choice himself. And I think I've even told the story of when I was a little kid, my, I was watching, I think, Aladdin, and something about it made me think of hell, and something about it got me scared. And I was thinking about my eternal life, and I was thinking, I don't want to go to hell. I don't know why that popped in my head, but it did. And so I went to my dad, and I was kind of telling him these things, and he explained to me the gospel. And I remember him just saying, you don't fully understand it yet. And I remember thinking, like, man, (laughs) I don't understand this. Um, But then I went away and kind of forgot about it, so I obviously didn't understand it. But it did make a pretty big impact for me, because I wasn't deceived into thinking that I was a child of God if I truly wasn't. I didn't understand it at that point in time, and my dad was honest with me. And nowadays, I kind of see how difficult that probably was for him to be honest there and to not just say, oh, well, you're good. I think you understand. Um, He was brutally honest, saying, I don't think you understand it yet, but maybe later in life you will. And guess what? I am 100% positive he was praying for me. Um, in the years to come, and ultimately, obviously, I did accept Christ as my Savior. But he did the same thing to me with baptizing as well. When I wanted to get baptized, I was really young, and he asked me what baptism was, and I didn't give a good answer, apparently. Um, He said, you're not ready for it. You don't understand what it was, and that made an impact. That has made more of an impact on me than if he would have just said, yes, you're good to go. And so, don't force anything. Um, Let the Lord do his work um, and pray. continue to pray for that person. So those are my four things. Pray, use scripture, explain the truth, and don't force anything. All right, so that's the invitation reacted to. The next, whoa, the next few are going to be short. An invitation open to all. Verses 8 through 10, it says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not ready to go, not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both um, bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. So he opens it up to all. He says, hey, look, he tells his servants, look, just go and find all the people you can. And this is where I'd say it transitions from Old Testament to New Testament, right? The old who rejected it, now they're gone. They burned their city. And so these servants are seen as John the Baptist, Jesus himself, the apostles, and even, to extension, us as well. Go into all the world and preach the gospel is what Jesus tells us. And that is kind of a reflection here. Just go, therefore, and preach. And so he goes and tells them, do bad and good, um, all people. And this bad and good might kind of trip you up a little bit. This isn't saying they're spiritually. This is saying externally, right? You might see some people who look like they're good people, invite them. You might see some people who look like bad people, invite them. Just go invite people. And this is something that we see throughout the New Testament, um, right? Male, female, black, white, young, old, Jew, Gentile, everyone is welcome to the kingdom of heaven if they believe. And so the invitation is open to all, and it's an invitation to change, it says in the last one, if you were to read this parable, if you stopped at 10, you would say, well, that is a good parable. 
Um, but so thank, we are, should be very thankful that it continues on. It says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then he said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. We see that we need a determination to change. He says friend, and this friend is actually the same word used when Judas approaches Jesus. And he says, friend, do what you need to do. Or um, I think that's what he says um, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, but he says, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And I can just imagine this huge party, all these people, and he's looking around, and he sees this one person, he's like, how are you in here? And it might seem kind of strange that there's this intruder without a wedding garment. Why is he even putting out this wedding garment? Um, there's a little bit of debate on this, um, but most likely it is thought that people, if they weren't able to have a wedding garment, the wedding garment would be provided for that person. And so the assumption here that we kind of have to make a little bit of is that the king provided wedding garments for those people um, who didn't have them. And so he should have had the determination to change. And the fact that he was speechless here kind of shows that he had no good excuse that he probably had the ability to get the wedding garment, he just didn't do it, or he had time to change. Um, there was just no excuse to not change. And so when we think about that, we need to remember that the call of Christ is to a changed life. Go to Colossians, um, go to Colossians, and then go to Colossians 3.5, sorry. Colossians 3.5. A determination to change. Colossians 3 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexually immoral, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked while you were living in them, but now you must put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Do you notice those? You've put off. You once walked. You must walk. You put on the new self. It's not, it is a change from one to another. And so he should have had a determination to change because that is the very heart of the gospel. It is a change from one thing, from being dead to another thing, to being alive in Christ. And God gives us the ability to change. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And we can see that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, we won't turn there right now due to time, because I spent too much time in the first part of the sermon. But an ability to change. So we have a determination to change, an ability to change, and it should be a 
radical change. Again, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We go from being dead to putting that death to death (laughs) to being alive with Christ. We need to put on the new self. And I was trying to think of how to illustrate this well, and I thought, well, I'll just change on stage. And I thought, well, maybe that's not good enough. And some of you may have noticed that when, I, when you came in, I was wearing a blue suit with a red tie, and now I'm wearing a gray suit with a yellow tie. You guys are looking kind of dumbfounded. So maybe you didn't notice. Maybe you're just unobservant. Um, my point was supposed to be that you're supposed to notice the change, right? I was one thing, and now I'm a new thing. Apparently, it didn't work. But anyways, the life should be radical. It should be a complete change. You should notice the change. It should be an immediate. It is the power of God working in that person's lives that they become dead, and now they are alive. They go from wearing a blue suit, guys, to wearing a gray suit, okay? And when you, so people, you should notice there should be a change, a radical change. But sometimes people fool you. And they say, well, I like this part of the gospel, so I'll just keep this part of the gospel, and I won't change any part of my life. And that can be difficult, because it can be hard. Because you notice some change, but they don't fully change. They don't go from being dead to alive. And I'm sure you didn't notice that Bill changed his tie. He went from wearing a blue tie to a different blue tie. Uh, <laughs> But that is just the thing. Sometimes, right, they cling on to one thing they like. He says, oh, I'll change my tie. I'll change this part. I like the idea of love in the gospel. I'll just keep the love aspect of everything, and that's all I'll keep. That is not a complete change. He didn't change everything. He just changed the things he wanted to change. When you look at a life of someone who has been converted... Again, there should be a radical change. They were dead, and now they are alive. You shouldn't have to wonder if they're still dead anymore. You can't, again, fake the righteousness of God. And so the last point I have to bring out is an invitation ignored has consequences. Getting back into our passage 13 and 14, it says, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This outer darkness, he is out of the kingdom. You can just picture a bright wedding feast, all these festivities. There's food, there's the king, there's relationships, a relationship with the king, and he is thrown out into the darkness, never to come back again. He is gone. He had his moment. He had his chance. He was part of it. He could have been part of it. He could have remained there, but he didn't want to change. He didn't want to conform into the righteousness of God, and therefore he is cast out. And this is reminiscent of those who feel as if they are part of the kingdom, but they never put on the righteousness of God. And when they get to heaven, God will say, I never knew you. And so, he gives us the final warning. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many will hear the gospel. Many will be invited. 
Many will see. Many will be part of the church. They will see the righteousness of God in action. But many, but few will be chosen. Few will heed the call. And so, we need to remember um, that many people react differently to the gospel. Many people are living different lives of sin. And so when you're looking at their lives of sin, how you share the gospel, you should think about how to share to each individual person. We need to do that because there is a great feast. I don't want to leave too negative. I do want to mention the fact in verse 10. They gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, and so the wedding hall was filled with guests. One day there is going to be a great feast, and what a feast it will be. That's why there's going to be food in heaven. First of all, because I love food, so I know it's going to be in heaven. Because, But anyways, there's going to be a great feast, right? And many, it's going to be filled. Filled with people who love God, who put on the righteousness of God, who believed in Him. Many of those people are the ones who are going to be They were shamefully treated. They were murdered here on earth, but they live a life of righteousness, and therefore they get to be with the Father. And so we need to remember that as well. But there's going to be a great wedding feast, and we need to be careful to remember this is an invitation to change in this life. And when you explain the gospel to people, they need to understand this is a change that they are going to be going from a dead person to an alive person, someone who hated Christ and all that represented him to now loving Christ and hating the things they once loved. And ultimately, there's going to be consequences for those who reject it. But again, ultimately, this is an invitation that can bring life. And so we need to remember that. And so let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so very much for this parable. I just pray that as we go throughout the world, that again, we would be thinking about this, that we would be thinking about the different people, the the businessman, the farmer, the one who's just content, the people who pay no attention at all, the ones who are hostile against us. Be praying, I pray that we'd be praying for them that we'd have opportunities to witness to them. And please, oh please, when we have the opportunity, I pray that you give us the courage, the boldness um, to explain to them the gospel regardless of the consequences. Uh, We just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.